The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. Was I back to Kickstarter? Appreciate that. Yeah, it looked pretty cool. Thank you. Um, and I don't know if you guys have done a bunch of them or not. Mm-hmm. This uh, is, so, Andrew, for Andrew and I, this is our, I want to say our third Kickstarter that we've done together in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then uh, I, uh, I've i done about almost 30, I think. Wow. All, all told, so, yeah. Is that ones you've been managing or been involved in? Just uh, All of those are, for the most part, are ones that I've been managing um, as far as uh, overseeing the Kickstarter campaign. Um, yeah. And then about half of them have been internal projects and the other half are client projects right right still that's i mean that's some good practice i just thought the page looked pretty polished and everything i was like Thank this you. there you guys, you guys obviously aren't new at this you know it's like Thank um, you. because you still even today see people that throw together kickstarter pages that just make you wonder <laughs> yep <laughs> what yep. are you thinking and the yep. reason i don't do um the reason I don't do a lot of print stuff is because I, I mean, because I can, I'm, I'm a decent writer and I can do layout and I know game system stuff pretty well and I'm good at narrative writing. I write books, uh-huh. but I uh, don't do art. Mm. And mm. you know, art's I, a big I, deal for it. Yeah, I, yeah. There's there's so much money involved in that. And I don't, uh, I don't have the connections. I don't the contacts. So much um, money. And I mean, I obviously I could find it. I could, if I was serious about it, I could find them. It would be a, it'd be a worthwhile endeavor, I think. But there's so many people putting out such great material. I don't feel a powerful need. I write mm-hmm. a lot of stuff for my games, and I'm fine. <laughs> but I'm constantly, constantly looking for new stuff and um, just to see what's out there and see what you guys see what people come up with. Welcome to Metagamers Anonymous. Uh, this is Eric, and we're uh, here with a couple of gentlemen who I just made the acquaintance of. Literally, I'm seeing for the first time on Zoom today. But uh, Zach and I, you've talked, you and I have talked a few times yeah. online. You know, we've been talking about trying to get together for a bit and try to get you to the convention because you, you mm-hmm. said you guys do like do a lot of convention stuff and like to run games and stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I know we talked last year or the year before about a, a Kickstarter you had going, and I was like, I felt really bad that I didn't get into it on time to to get you on the show and talk about it and everything. So let's go ahead and uh, meet meet you, gentlemen. Zach, since I already mentioned you, uh, tell everybody who you are. Yeah, my name's Zach Goins. I'm the creative director of a little company called World of Game Design. World of Game Design specializes in making RPG books and taking those books to Kickstarter and helping other people make RPG books and take those books to Kickstarter. Nice. So we've done about uh, right around 30 different projects on the Kickstarter platform. Um, We're really involved in the Kickstarter community. We're really involved in the RPG zine community. We attend a lot of conventions throughout the year. So we're a very active uh, company in the creator creative space. And you, um, you call it a community, too, and I, th- I think that's something that people, a lot of people that just tangentially familiar with Kickstarter don't realize how important a social network it's become for mm-hmm. for our hobby specifically, but yeah. for a lot of similar creative endeavors and fields, I think. It's not about, you know, the level of communication that a lot of social media has, but it is a type of social media, definitely. Yep. You know, and the ability to see what other people are doing and what other people are backing and what other people are commenting on. And, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's huge. It's, it's such a great tool. And I've, I've been, 
I ran my first Kickstarter, I want to say in 2014 mm. for my first convention. Cause that's what I, uh-huh. I started using it for. Cause, and that was good practice for me. You know, that, that was something I could do art for. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> I was talking about mm-hmm. the fact that I didn't, I don't, I don't really do art. I don't know a lot of artists, not really, but I have made a lot of connections over the years if I just exploit them, but mm. I mean, not exploit in a bad way. You know what I mean? <laughs> I get you. <laughs> you people come, you know, we're you on the inside. We understand. Yes. You should do it for the exposure, right? Yes. Um, I'm a musician. Uh, I know better. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't played for exposure in a lot of years. I don't like exposing myself. You know, uh, but yeah, it, it was a real education for me right from the beginning. And the first, you know, the, the process of just getting to know how Kickstarter worked. And then that every, every, every campaign is an education. You know, every time you do it, you learn more things that you can do differently or do better or how people respond to the things you're doing. And um, I I did. I ran Kickstarters for a few years to support the con and get it rolling. And I don't, you know, I I don't regret all the time and effort and energy that went into that. And it was a great way to reach people that otherwise would have never known about the convention. Mm -hmm. And then I had a chance to use it for some other gaming products. It's been a really powerful uh, element of our community. And if, if you haven't really gotten into it, there's a lot of people that probably still don't. That are, you know, that are part of the gaming mm-hmm. community, but everybody knows what it is now. You say Kickstarter to the man on the street. Most people have heard of it. Yep. That says a lot. Yep. Yeah, I mean, yep. it, it took, what, 20 years for D&D to do that. <laughs> Only took Kickstarter <laughs> like five. That's right. <laughs> so, um, and we also have Andrew here. Uh, why don't you introduce yourself, sir? Uh, sure. Uh, thanks for having me. And my name is Andrew Bishkinski. I'm a tabletop RPG designer, mostly working in the, on fifth edition D&D stuff. I was the lead designer for Den of Assassins, which uh, Zach and I, which was our big book sort of last year. That was my first big experience. I've done some uh, freelance work for uh, Wizards of the Coast and for Ghostfire Gaming and some other um, sort of TTRPG space uh, people and companies. So um, so yeah, a lot of stuff on D- uh, published through DMs Guild and now through Drive-Thru RPG. So that's kind of what I do. I make some things up and then Zach helps me put them on Kickstarter as of recently nice. because uh, yeah, to kind of jump into that conversation, you know, Kickstarter was kind of new to me because I was publishing everything through um, DMs Guild. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, sure, we can put a Kickstarter, but like nobody knows me on Kickstarter. People know me on DMs Guild. And Zach is like, don't worry about it. Like we'll get people to know you. And like mm-hmm. more people back <laughs> my book on Kickstarter who don't know me than the people who know me on DMs Guild buy my stuff there. So I was like, holy cow, it really is like a community of people yes. who want to like discover things and are much more open to, you know, backing something by somebody they don't necessarily know, provided that it looks good. And like, yeah, it, it, it was a big, uh, you know, eye-opening process for me as well, thanks to Zach. And that's that uh, that's that community action there right there. You know, one person finds your, your item and uh, loves it backs it, supports it, even at a low level, even for a buck or two. And everybody that follows them gets that alert and says, oh, let's check this out. You know, such and such liked this. I'll go check it out. And then everybody that follows them gets that alert. And it just, it snowballs so well. And of course, the, I mean, the meter of Kickstarter with the whole kind of rise and fall of it and everything is is, is really perplexing sometimes. But yeah. <laughs> but you see how that happens, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the biggest regret is always the, uh, sometimes short campaigns do better. Mm-hmm. And, and yet there's always that, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know how many campaigns I've, I've gotten the email and I've gone to check it out and I just missed it yesterday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Know. And I mean, I'm sure that that comes from being guilty of buying a lot of Kickstarter stuff, but I'm still, I'm saying percentage wise, it doesn't matter. It still is disappointing every time you come across like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, but yeah. Uh, 
Hey, you mentioned Den of Assassins, and I noticed that you guys have that amongst your add-ons for the current Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. And um, we, we should get into talk about that a little bit, but I want to go ahead and uh, visit with you guys about um, some other stuff first, if that's all right. Because uh, mm-hmm. obviously you guys have been uh, involved in the gaming industry for a while and the hobby, I'm sure. So how did you and when did you get started? And, uh, you know, was it, was it D&D? Was it something else? Was it an early, mm-hmm. early edition, you know? <laughs> Well, I got started in, I, I feel like, a little bit weird way. I think a lot of people approach. Uh, exactly. Like, find- I started two years ago. I've been doing Kickstarters for four. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. No. Uh, yeah. So I think a lot of people, I'm probably similar to in that I found RPGs and D&D in college. Mm-hmm. The the weirdness of, of that experience for me was that it wasn't my friends who wrote me in. It was my professors. Uh, And for the first few years, (laughs) I played with a group of professors at the uh, university that I attended. Little dumb, ignorant, young Zach, and then all these uh, older fellows who had been in the hobby for decades, right? Uh, Yeah, they didn't start when they were professors. They started when they were No, absolutely not. Yeah. (laughs) But it was a really cool experience. We played a lot of uh, third edition and Pathfinder while we were there. Um, we did a lot of homebrew stuff for those guys, and they were just a great crew. Great crew all the way around. They dumped me off the deep end into the 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 turbid waters of late stage third edition and mm-hmm. Pathfinder, um, and and I uh, I took to that pretty well. It was really was fun. I loved all that crunch and that that meta. Yeah, and I loved, that was a lot. Yeah, especially yeah. late in the three five days where just there was so much product out there. Exactly. So many yeah. options. And then Pathfinder exactly. built this just massive number of splats that had all these. I mean, it's like, I was just talking to somebody today. It's like, yeah, I love Pathfinder and the 57 classes. So, like, yeah. yes. You're not wrong. It was great. No. <laughs> and they gave me, I remember very clearly, they're like, here, go to this website. It was uh, PFSRD, mm-hmm. uh, which is Pathfinder SRD. Mm-hmm. And they didn't hand me a book or anything. They're just like, go to this website and make a character. And if you open up that site, it is it is an intimidating uh, feat. <laughs> yeah, it would be. Yeah, I remember. Uh, so it was about a week of me just logging on to the one of the college computers every day in the afternoon after classes and trying to learn how to play an RPG uh, <laughs> by just looking at the SRD. And it was, I liked it. I thought that was really fun. And um, one thing led to another. And to make a long story short, after doing that for a lot of years, several years, I should say, and playing in a lot of home group games and being invited to run Adventures League at a few conventions, I got caught up in Kickstarter and was a big backer there. And, I'm, you know, you just get more and more sucked in. Yes. And eventually you get so sucked in that you're like, how can I do this as my job? Right. What, what can I do to make that happen? Um, and. <sighs> <laughs> I tried the DMs Guild. I didn't have the success that uh, Andrew has had over on DMs Guild, and so I had to. <laughs> I, gotta, I had to got to ask you about that too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I had to bounce. Uh, I was like, "All right, well, let, that's not working. Let's find a different place." And Kickstarter worked, and so that's just. It's been the last few years that it just kept growing and growing. And two years ago, I quit my day job um, and started doing this full time. Seriously. Congratulations, man. That's a, that's a huge leap. And I'm sure it wasn't yeah. an easy choice necessarily. No, it's still terrifying. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and anybody I know that's in any creative industry, you know, same problem. Like you, at some point you decide, this is what I want to do. And I want to do the exclusion and everything. I want to focus on this all the time. And you got to make that choice to not work a regular job and not be a regular Joe and not have a regular paycheck. And yeah. oh my God, that's terrifying. Yeah. 
And you have but, to have an awesome wife or partner that, yeah. <laughs> uh, that'll back you up in those early months. My friend Mikey Mason, musician, I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, he's a, hmm. uh, does a lot of geek comedy uh, music hmm. and stuff, cool. and he's a pretty popular stand-up guy. And um, he's uh, he's full time, and so he did that a couple years ago. He went full time, and now he makes a lot of his money through Patreon, you mm-hmm, know, through his supporters mm-hmm. there, because he he'll release for his supporters even a, even the one dollar a month supporters. He releases a product every week, you know, mm-hmm, he releases mm-hmm. a song every week he's working on, and it mm-hmm. keeps him in form, keeps him focused on making content and and communicating mm-hmm. with his audience. And then he does shows on the internet since the pandemic. He started doing a lot of internet shows, but but we have him out to the convention every year and. Uh, uh, sells mm-hmm. a bunch of merch and stuff and just a great guy. But man, that was one of the conversations we had that just blew me away was that whole decision. And his wife was fantastic about it. You know, she's, yeah. she's huge. She's a rock. And, uh, I, I don't, I don't imagine my wife would feel quite the same. It was like, <laughs> well, you know, demonstrate that you can actually make a living at it and we'll talk. Yes. Yes. That's but you important. know what? I got to be honest. The pandemic changed a lot of assumptions for a lot of people. You yep. know, when jobs went away, my job went away. Mm-hmm. You know, jobs went away. I, I got, I got, became reliant on the gig economy after a while. And uh, it just there's there's a lot of different approaches to life that don't have to do with the the traditional <laughs> yep. nine to five and and what we're used to thinking of. And I spent a lot more time creating content and it hasn't necessarily paid the bills, but it's been a very satisfying way of life. And it has brought in cash here and there. It pays for itself, which is nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, with my podcast, I got a Patreon that pays enough to cover my uh, my basic expenses, my websites, web hosting, and the the software I use to do everything, all that licenses and stuff. And it's like, you know, it's not going to, it's not going to pay my electric bill, but I don't care because <laughs> this isn't costing me anything to do. So yeah, that's awesome to hear, man. Really awesome. Thanks. I I just don't. Um, I I mo- a lot of people just don't have that in them, you know. And uh, I, I wish I had a little more of it in me. <laughs> but but that requires an enterprising spirit and uh, the vision to see what you can do with a platform like Kickstarter and make it work for you. Yeah. Now, Andrew, he said it. He said Zach said you had success with DMs Guild, <laughs> and you mentioned that you sold a lot of things there. Uh, and I'm sure Kickstarter has opened some new doors for you, but how? Did you do that? Was it just volume of content or what? Did you just, or did you get like on a day one? Because I'm going to get when DMs Guild dropped and we all saw that announcement and we're all sitting here going, what can I publish? What can I write? How can I get it out now? You know, it's like, and and then most of us didn't. So, I mean, where were you? What did you do? I cheated. Oh, um, okay. That obviously. works. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll you, give you, you my- uh, You made a deal with the devil is what you mean, right? Yeah. yeah. I'll give you my villain origin story. Mm. Um, so um, it's super fashionable to say that, you know, when it was 1981, I had the red box and my friends played in the basement. No, none of that. I, I, I didn't touch a tabletop RPG until six years ago. That was the first time I ever played any tabletop RPG. Nothing wrong with I, that, my friend. Nothing wrong with that. Kind of... Um, Grew up tangentially aware of Dungeons and Dragons. I read the Salvatore Dress novels and, you know, they had this Dungeons and Dragons title on them, which is what the series was called. And I'm like, okay, cool. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I played Baldur's Gate, which, you know, I thought was based on the novels, not the other way around. And anyway, <laughs> um, so, um, so yeah, I, I, I was aware of Dungeons and Dragons and I played, you know, video game RPGs and stuff like that, but I didn't touch tabletop RPGs until about six years ago. And uh, I found them because I grew tired of staring at my screen a lot, which is very ironic given the pandemic and everything. But um, I grew tired of playing video games and spending a lot of my time looking at a screen. And I'm like, I want to do things with people in person in real life. And um, 
I started like going to meetups and things to like try out tabletop games, try out board games, and I found some RP- t- tabletop RPGs such as uh, Dungeons and Dragons. And how I got into DMs Guild is through the D&D Adventures League, because when I started playing, one of the things was my job had me, I had to be very flexible. I traveled a lot and then my hours kind of changed. So I couldn't really do like every Monday at a regular six schedule. or whatever. Right. Yeah. 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 So the curse of the hobby. Also, yeah. yeah. And also it was a new hobby. So I didn't have any friends who like played tabletop RPGs because I kind of discovered it on my own. So I'm like, I need people to play with. <sighs> That's hard. <laughs> and thankfully, Toronto has a huge uh, geek community and there's a whole bunch of stores that would run D&D and they would run D&D Adventures League. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. I can have the same character and I don't have to play with the same people, but I can have the same character. I can take it from place to place, kind of like an MMO and on uh, in video games. So I'm like, okay, I understand how this works. I can do this. Nice. And so I would go to different stores and I would play with different people and I would play D&D Adventures League. And I met some people who organized local events, the local version of you. Right, sure. Yeah, no, that's how I started. I started with local events at game stores and stuff, yeah. Yeah, I, I met, and um, at that time, the D&D Adventures League had the community content program, um, or CCC, where yep. if you're yep. running a certain size event, they would allow you to create your own AL legal adventure. Wow. And uh, I was like, hey, I kind of like writing and I can, I think I can do this. I've read some of these adventures. I can do better. Right. That's how it goes. Which is everybody's thought always, which is always worked out. (laughs) But uh, yeah, so I kind of, um, um, I talked to a good friend of mine who I'm still friends and game with, who was running a con. And I said, oh, look, let me write a thing for you. And I was, um, I was so afraid that I would let him down that I actually wrote the entire adventure. But he said, you know, maybe we'll let you do it. I'm like, okay, I'll go home. I write the whole thing, you know, over a couple of months. I'm like, okay, here's the draft. If you don't want it, don't ask me. You know, I was like, I had it done before he actually committed to having me do it. Nice. I was so worried about how it would go. And um, it went well. I mean, there were some scheduling issues and crazy things that I eventually didn't end up coming out an actual for publication or on DM's guilt until like two years after it was written. As oh, wow. And, um, you know, just due to different... By the time it came out, I had already written and premiered another one at a different con. It was it was, it was was just so weird. Publishing is so strange sometimes. Yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, and that adventure did really well. And this brings me back to your question about how did I, quote, air quote, succeed on DM's guilt, because I'm still not sure I have. But... Um, <laughs> At the time, Adventure Sleep was very popular, and there was a huge market for new content because there was not a lot of new adventures coming out. So if you got approved to write a CCC and you got it published, chances are, you know, a whole bunch of people would look at it. A whole bunch of people, but, you, but, you know, small standards. Like right. You're guaranteed to sell maybe 100 copies, and then if it's good, maybe you'd sell a couple of hundred. But, you know, a few people would look at it. Sure. And so because I was doing that and there was a very captive audience, you know, I did a few more and they kind of turned out well, people liked them. So I ended up writing 
over the next like three years, I wrote something like 20 AL adventures. And that eventually was also kind of the downfall of the system because a lot of people did that. And then there was an overwhelming amount of content. And today, if somebody writes one, they'll be lucky if 50 people pick it up. Yeah, roughly. Yeah. Uh, I'm, you know, lost in the sea of content. And lost in the sea, yeah. and that happened with the DMs Guild in the greater sense, also because the folks that were starting out on it, if your stuff was good and you had good production values, it's very easy to get noticed in the beginning. Right. And now you look at the front page of DMs Guild; it looks like a, it's run by professional game developers, which, in you know, it kind of is because like mm-hmm. everybody's product looks amazing. Everybody's product that like beautiful production values beautiful cover you know actual editing by somebody other than yourself and right. your buddy, <laughs> you know, like where you actually pay somebody to look at your words and make them good so it's very hard now and one of the things is because i cheated to get in by sort of selling to the captive al audience it didn't really help me when i started doing stuff that wasn't al because the fo- my audience was people who wanted al stuff and the people who didn't want AL stuff didn't want my stuff because they didn't know who I was. So it was um, kind of uh, opening, eye-opening and a little bit heartbreaking, but it's a, it's a hard business. But I've uh, managed to make some contacts out of the fact that I've right. written stuff. Right. And then, you know, met folks like Zach and other folks that I've been able to find uh, kind of other non-guild work with, which has been really rewarding and has paid well. Have you done some freelance stuff for other people yet? Or Yeah, uh, I've done freelance stuff for a whole bunch of people, a lot of them, some on DMs Guild. And then uh, I recently did um, freelance for Ghostfire Gaming for their Aurora Age of Desolation Kickstarter, which was amazing. It's like a half a million dollar Kickstarter. I'm like, yep, oh, it did really well. I, I can't believe I'm part of this. So, um, <laughs> so yeah, so yeah, I've done a few things and um, that's, that's I worked awesome. with, um, had the fortune to work with uh, Keith Baker, the creator of Eberron, on the, his Dread Metro DM Guild supplement. Very cool. Which is his uh, Eberron Ravenloft crossover, and I got to write the adventure, the intro adventure that's in it, which is nice. Like, uh, the <laughs> that morning had to be fun. That had to be a good one. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple of other things that I think Andrew's done that are really cool. Andrew wrote a introductory intro to D and D adventure that's really really good, and is now being used by Baldman Games, which is kind of like the lead. Uh, mm-hmm. Adventures League platform. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They kind of took over. Yeah, exactly. To to run all of their stuff across various conventions. So I think that's a really big deal that they recognize Andrew is quite literally p- potentially having the best adventure for new players wanting to get into the game. I think that's cool. I think that's really that's cool. A I don't know. Hell of a compliment, right there, man. Yeah. Well, and you know, Zach's being overly, <laughs> overly uh, generous so. with his compliments. But uh, the adventure is called Sisterhood of the Blade, and I actually wrote it for for years. We ran um, the group that I was part of here, United Factions. We um, ran a convention called Anime North, which was an anime con. Right. But they wanted people to come in and teach people D and D. Yeah. And the people at the anime con had no idea what D and D is. <laughs> like I had very like tangential like knowledge. And basically we would be always doing these learn to play sessions. And we'd be trying to teach them maybe in an hour, maybe in two hours from scratch, teach people who know nothing about D and D how to play. Yeah. And it was quite a 
different thing from for us who were used to running AL, where people usually come in and they know how to play, play a little bit. You know, I mean, you always have new players, but people kind of come in and they're motivated. And so we ran this con for years. And after the first couple of times, I said, look, I'm going to write an adventure that is going to be flexible enough to be run in one hour, two hour, three hours, or four hours, whatever people want. And that is literally going to teach them how to D&D while playing D&D. <laughs> right. Which is, that's the only way. <laughs> that's the best way by far. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like an intro session to, in a video game where you have like the tutorial. Right. All the, this push this button to do this. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. There's an adventure training center and like this first, encounter it teaches you how to use your skills and then it teaches you how to use your saves and then it teaches you how to do a combat you know it's kind of uh, one thing at a time nice so. nice the other thing uh, i i'm not gonna let andrew get away with not selling himself fully uh andrew also i don't know if you recall or not but last year uh wizard of the coast put out their inaugural uh dm challenge is what it's yep. called um and basically it was there less DMs and more writers because you weren't running games. You were, for the most part, you were, you were writing scenarios and traps and different things and submitting those. And um, not only was Andrew a finalist, he won the, the whole shebang last year, which was really cool. So. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so did you, what'd you get for that? <laughs> did did, he, did um, he give you a prize? Oh, or? Yeah. Oh, he's going to go grab it. Nice. No, I gotta see it. Our listeners, I'll 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 describe it. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll we'll make sure the people. Oh my god, is that a Tiamat? That's a Tiamat. That is huge. Love it. I think the listeners got it. (laughs) Dude. Yeah. yeah. They they gave me a Tiamat, and they gave me a a stack about like you know up to the ceiling of books and the other cool stuff and things and. uh, yeah, no, it, it was a very cool experience to design a lot of stuff. And, so, uh, yeah, oriented on what you were um, talking about, uh, Andrew, I, I kind of want to share one little bit of wisdom that I think you'll find very interesting. Um, I had uh, at my convention uh, a few years ago, uh, Phil Reed, the CEO for Steve Jackson Games, huh? you know, and uh, he came out to the con. He he just dropped in. He was literally, uh, I, I, I made a special guest out of him because he told me like right before I printed the programs that he was going to be coming. But he just, he'd been a friend online for years and he just dropped into the convention. I was sitting there talking and he told me, he said, you know, um, it's, it used to be that idea people were what you needed more than anything. People that had, uh, you know, they were creative, had fresh ideas could come up with stuff, could just generate that stuff, you know, back, you know, left and right. And, and uh, that was the most important thing. And now idea people have become so much the norm. You know, there's so many idea people out there, but the problem is that not enough people execute. Mm-hmm. When you carry through, you go, I'm going to write it. I can write an adventure. I'm going to write an adventure. I've written lots of adventures. I, I run my own adventures all the time, but actually going through the steps of doing it and then do it, taking the steps you need to get it out there and get it in front of people that's the skill set that people don't value enough. And that's what he told me. He said, the people who execute, the people who actually make things happen, those are now the percentage that is needed that there aren't enough people doing that. So, you know, be proud of what you accomplish in that regard. It's There's so many people like you who start a thing or want to start a thing, who have the talent, but not the carry through. 
You know, it's funny you mention that because um, every now and then somebody asks, like, whether it be on social media or Discord or whatever. Um, is Discord social media? Never mind. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but somebody asks, well, you know, I want to write, write an adventure. I don't know if it's a thing I want to do. I don't know if it's a thing I can do. And the advice I usually tell people in terms of what worked for me I tell them, take your favorite adventure, like take it, copy it to a Word document, leave only the headings, like introduction, whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then fill in the first page, write like the first page of your encounter, write the first page of your campaign setting. Just, just doing that small exercise might take you half an hour, just like filling out every bucket because you know you need to have the location, you need to have the introduction, you need to have the... Uh, story seeds, etc. Try it, and you'll figure out very, very quickly whether you want to keep going or whether that has already like you're like, no, no, I can't. I have but things in my mind, but you. I can't organize them. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, a lot of things I, I've run into in my life. I mean, he was trying to compliment me when he told me that because we were talking about the convention and things like that. Because there's there's all I've met so many people that, that like yeah, I think I could do that. I could think I could run a convention. Like, yeah, I think I think most anybody could if they really really want to. And that's the part it takes is really really wanting to. You know, I don't make any money. I've been doing this eight nine <laughs> years. I don't. I've never made a dime. It's cost me money a couple times. You know, I do it because I love it, and I love the being part yeah. of the gaming community and providing that, and uh, going out there and getting the accolades. Everybody cheers me. I'm good. I'll go home. I don't have time to run games at my conventions. Even I, yeah. I don't get to play games. I just hang out, see all my friends. You know, make a couple of cool speeches, give away some prizes, know that I am loved, and go on about my business. And then I go <laughs> to my friends' conventions and run games. But you know, it's, yeah. just, <laughs> it's just it's just a, a really great thing to have done, and to be and to be recognized for that is is really cool. But there's so many other things like that, that so many creative things that I've wanted to do in my life. I've got, in fact, it's funny. I mean, just this week I started writing an adventure. I've got a, a, mm. a partially formed, like you said, a partially formed. I've written that page and that page and that page. I know I've got it in me. I just have to spend the time and the energy and, and actually do it. But I've got a million other things going on. I don't even yeah. work for a living right now. And I've got podcasts and podcasts. And I, I run several games a week because that's what I do. Yep. You know, and, and, uh, and I'm a musician. I write songs. I'm working on my next novel. You know, I just, there's, there's so many. And I'm a family man. I got kids. You know, there's yep. so much going on. There's so much, especially for us creatives, right? Like there's always something else that you want to set to your task, set to mind. And it's really about that buckling down. I think that if I'm going to, if I tangentially tie us into uh, uh, current projects or bring us to that side mm -hmm. of things. Sure. I think that was the big unlock for me was I was in the same boat as a lot of people were, where I had the desire, but the execution uh, for a while at least was lacking. And I had to find out what, what that was. And for me, and really what our company is built around and, and why Andrew works with us and worked with me and, and why others do is what I found is that it's way easier to get things done when you have a team. Yes. And so our very first Kickstarter was me and my brother-in-law and one of our great friends getting together saying, we're going to write a chunk of this and then we're going to find all of our D&D buddies that we could possibly find and get each one of them to write 300 words. And that's going to be our first book, right? Um, and that collaborative aspect gets you energized and is great. 
for that, but it also having an accountability aspect, right? Like I said that I was going to write this chapter. And if it's just you by yourself, there's no one really to answer to. You might write the chapter. That's great, but you might not. And there's no repercussion for that. But if I say I'm going to write a chapter, I have to go have a meeting with my brother-in-law and, and friend two weeks later, I'm going to write that chapter because I don't want to, I don't hey, want to be the fool, right? I get it. I organize a convention. I start selling tickets months ahead. Yeah. People yeah. put money. I get sponsors. You know, people, I can't stop. I can't you know, lay down and go, I don't have, I'm out of ideas. I got nothing guys. I, yep. You know, there's just no point in which you do that. I, and in exactly. contrast, I can, I can even represent, I can even really, really relate to that. Uh, like I said, I'm a musician. I have completed more musical projects over my life than I have like writing projects because when I write a novel, same thing, working on my book, working on my book, working on my book, mm-hmm. you know, week by mm-hmm. week goes by, sometimes weeks go by, you know, I feel like I've accomplished diddly squat, but, but a lot of my musical projects are collaborative. I'm working mm-hmm. with other musicians. We feed off each other's energy. We, yep. we have ambitions. We have aspirations for a project. You know, we want to get it and want to see this one. And then we have people that want to hear it and you know, want to talk about it and get involved. We have a fan base, you know. So you definitely find that's easier to drive on. And I've always found collaborative efforts easier yep. and more. Yeah. And easier sounds like a bad word in that case. But you know what I mean? It's, 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 um, it gives you more initiative, yeah. you know, more impetus to, to follow through. You look like you were going to say something there, Andrew. Um, no, I, I think you guys covered it. I'm good. Okay, good. <laughs> I, hey, I, I'm good. I, I talk a lot, so don't let that get you, get in the way. No, you're good. I think I think that the the, the we do a lot of stuff now. You know, you know, we we we've published a lot of different books, and some of those books have been singular efforts by singular individuals. But what Andrew and I have found that we really enjoy is these last two books, Den of Assassins and Deep and Dangerous that we've worked on together, is Andrew kind of being the brainchild of the thing, right? Mm-hmm. He conceives of this concept of the first book, Den of Assassins. What what if we put out a resource guide that gave both DMs and players all sorts of assassin-themed options to insert into their 5e games? Let's get build a whole bunch of subclasses that are themed around the assassin and let's yeah he's he's God, he's damn it. caressing I'm the book go, on screen. i'm gonna have to go add this this is an add-on now yeah. to my, yes you people yes <laughs> i can't and, afford and, this and, stuff no <laughs> exactly uh that, that that's where we get you um but no and then on the dm side like i i, I loved i remember, i think i if i may have some of this wrong but i as i remember it andrew was when he was pitching me this idea he's like you know, sometimes the party is destroying towns, ruining lives, or 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 gets on the wrong person's bad side in your campaign, and they need somebody sent out like a hitman to go after them. And wouldn't <laughs> it be great if we could give a whole book filled with these sorts of nefarious, very talented individuals to go out and 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 take care of things? And I love that idea. And what was cool is that he he designed it. He came up with the ideas and and with the theme, and he he put a ton of work into writing out. He writes the subclasses and things like that. And then he said, "But I don't want to do this by myself." And I think that was the the kind of the the second key ingredient there is that he said, "I want to work with a, an eclectic group, a diverse group, a, a a wide pool of creative talent to help take this theme and take it further than I can by myself." And so. With both of these books, the Assassin book and then this dungeon delving book called Deep and Dangerous, it's Andrew putting a ton of time into the player side of things and really fleshing out themes and concepts. And then us pulling in really great writer talent to 
expand on those ideas and and breathe different forms of life into it and it's been these are a blast to do these are a blast to write they're a blast to run and they uh, the feedback that we've got from buyers is that it 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 shows that all that fun and energy shows in the final product nice i just uh i just updated my pledge for all the all the, P, all the pdf stuff <laughs> So let's talk about the Kickstarter a little bit. Deep and dangerous, um, subterranean monsters, villains, player options that add deep delving excitement to any 5e campaign. Great tagline. Uh, it, it, we've already, you, you, when I first pledged in with the early bird, you hadn't reached your, your funding goal yet, but you've already passed it and are getting closing in on doubling it now already yep. and still have uh, weeks to go. So that's, right. that's excellent news. I'm super, super stoked to see that. You've already got almost 300 backers so early in the campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this product, why don't we talk about this product a little bit? Who wants to go? Um, I, I guess I can go. Yeah, I'm pointing it. at you, but I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe, you, um, you've had to sit here and take it. Zach's just throwing the adulation your way. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't even understand how you could put up with this shit. Just, <laughs> just go. Just just talk, man. It's all your, your you got the conk. <laughs> so, yeah. So um, we knew kind of from the get go that we wanted to do a book that was a spiritual sort of successor to Den of Assassins because we thought that the format really worked. And the format was, here's one subclass for every one of the core um, fifth edition classes. So no matter what class you want to play, here's a related subclass for you. In the last book, it was Assassins. In this book, it's all related to underground exploration. Um, And here's a couple of feats. Here's a couple of backgrounds. So player options. But mainly, you know, subclasses are the core of that. And other stuff for players is mostly stretch goals. And, um, well, we have lineages this time. We didn't have them last time. But because now we're going into a whole different place. You know, I didn't think that, like, there would be an assassin race. Although now that I think about it, I, I, I have ideas. Now I have ideas. <laughs> What's stopping you, man? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So we have um, three, three lineages that are related. And we decided to do the DM side a little bit differently. I didn't want to do, because the first book we said, we got our guest writers, like Zach alluded to, and we said, you know what? I want each one of you to pick one of these assassin subclasses and make a villain inspired by it. Mm. You know, do anything you want. You don't have to like build, don't build them like a player character. Just like take the subclass that you think is cool and create a villain inspired by it. And that's kind of how we went and we thought that would work. Um, Here, I didn't want to do the same thing. What I wanted to do is I wanted people to have more of a villainous faction or an antagonist kind of group that they can go up against. Faction, we've used the word faction, but I kind of hate the word faction, even though I used it, because faction always, to me as a player, it's like, oh, can I join this faction? And that's kind of not what we mean here. We more mean a group of related enemies. But the thing is, when they're organized, the word faction works. Like when it's, you know, the Zentarum or something, something, Mm -hmm. some secret society, the word faction works. But when it's, you know, the orcs or the beholders, <laughs> yeah, they're not really a well, faction. They're not, more not just the word like, that comes to mind, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They're like a monster ecology or something like that. So, but we use the word faction and some of them are organized, like I mentioned, and some of them are just like, one of them is the subterranean, wormy, tentacly creatures that just like, appear all places underground there where you might go 
And each one of our factions, air quotes, um, in the book, it has, you know, the big bad of the faction that can act as your kind of final villain. And it will have like a minion or, or lieutenant so that between the three different stat blocks, you can build up your encounters around this faction. So maybe you can start out encountering a low CR minion early on, or, you know, if we're talking about evil tentacles, uh, I don't want to spoil too much, so I'll just call them evil tentacles <laughs> for, for purpose of this. Uh, so if you're in the, in the underground and you're encountering evil tentacles, maybe it's just a bunch of small ones that kind of grab you as you're going down a passage. And maybe down the line, you realize, oh, my God, these things grow so much bigger. And then, you know, when you're level 16, it's like, oh, all these things we've been killing, they've actually been part of this master organism. Right, right. You know, so awesome. it was that idea was every faction where you can kind of encounter them in different ways. And if a, uh, if a game master wanted, they could form the entire basis of your campaign, or they could just play a side part of your campaign. Because some of the organizations that we have involved with, we have a faction which we have internally been lovingly uh, referring to as Snake Mafia, which uh, which is not <laughs> what it's actually going to be called, but uh, we've been referring it to that because it has a, uh, a snake-like um, humanoid who's in charge of it. So, gotcha. And they essentially run all kinds of illicit mining activities underground. So they might actually hire the adventurers early on and then you'll find out, oh, Oh, these are not good people to work for, um, you know, and um, later on, they might become your kind of adversary, but you might still be selling stuff to them. So like we wanted to give DMs like these kinds of tools where, hey, I could put this beside my campaign. They don't have to be the villain or they could be the villain or they could just be there if I'm doing underground. So uh, the campaign is for the Deep and Dangerous book. You have some add-ons, like I mentioned. Uh, a couple of them look like uh, you haven't mentioned yet. I mean, because the Den of Assassins you can pick up, which is really nice, including mm-hmm. uh, look like soft cover of, of it as well, not mm-hmm. just the PDF, which is neat. But also you have like this Rare Dragons PDF, Oceanic Depths PDF. Are these just extra things you're coming up with now as part of this campaign, or those are so those those the, the, every project every campaign that we do um, we want to uh, like like man I I'm gonna feel like a snob with this but it's the first thing that came to mind it's like period wine and cheese or something right we want to <laughs> uh-huh. say this goes good with this right um, and so. Uh, uh, you know, we've got a back catalog of stuff that we've made in the past, right? And and so when it comes to doing a Kickstarter, we say, of our stuff that we've made in the past, is there anything that we think, if you like this, you'll also like right. this, right? right? And so Rare Dragons and Oceanic Depths are another two of our previous publications. Oceanic Depths was actually my first Kickstarter. Um, and it's a book kind of like Den of Assassins, kind of like Deep and Dangerous. Oceanic Depths is a book full of aquatic-based uh, player options and creatures and layers and all sorts of stuff to kind of fill out the oceans and seas in your love game. Love it, love it. Yeah, it was it was really fun. That's our, like I said, our very first one. I'm really proud of that book, even though I look back at it now and I'm like, whoa, how did yeah, that book sure. even get made? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like it's so crazy. Um, and then Rare Dragons uh, was just a fun passion project. Uh, we had the idea of like. All right, so there's always things in every RPG system that you read and you're like, oh, I would do that differently, right? And for me, one of the big things for D&D in that way is I'm like, ah, I like dragons, but I would do them differently if I was going to write dragons. 
I don't like the idea of a red dragon or a black dragon. I like the idea of named dragons and each dragon being very particular and specific and unique, right? Like Smog. Smog. Exactly, mm -hmm. exactly, right? And so Rare Dragons is uh, a book with 10 dragons. Andrew wrote one. I wrote a couple. We got a group of people, right, um, that are all unique creatures, unique individuals. They're named. They have your own unique stat block. They have their own lair, motivation, flaws and weaknesses, horde, minions, everything. Um, and it's that, like, sort of presentation of, like, all right, look. I don't imagine my D&D setting is having, you know, 35 white dragons in the in the snow-capped mountains. There's one and he's named such and such, right? Which this is realistically, I mean, and I have run a lot of campaigns, some that run yeah. many many years, and it's rare that you I mean, I I've already used a blue dragon in this campaign. Why am I going to yes. use another one, you know? Exactly. And that one because I like dragons and I play them like they're smart. That one was memorable. You know, why yeah. do I need to water that down any? Absolutely yeah. get yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like that's so, fab fabulous. Yeah. And if I can just, because, you know, I, I, I never really got a chance to talk about my dragon from Rare Dragons. <laughs> I got to play with, I, I got, I, I went all out. I made like a CR 27 dragon and she's like massive and she's the mother of adamantine and she spawns adamantine golems and things. And here, awesome. here, here's the thing. You want to put fear into your players because she's not really intended to be fought. But you want to, if you can imagine your party walking into the dragon's lair, just say three words and your party will be shaking in their boots. <laughs> Mass, heat, metal. Mass, heat, metal, yes. Ooh, <laughs> ouch. <laughs> Yes. That's some serious she's, juju. She's yeah. delightful. I really like of all the books I've, you know, we've writ written a lot of books at this point. I look back at that one with a tremendous amount of fondness because I think the team that we, not just the team that we put together, but what spawned from each one of them was so unique and is so perfect for what we were going for, which is like, I want something that you've never seen before. I want to. I want you to present dragons that uh, inspire stories and come from folk tales and legends, and that you know are sometimes more myth than anything else. And that it's are so a story. Good. Are a yeah. story in and of themselves. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. I, yeah. I. You mentioned again. I, I know. I said at the same time, Smaug. And um, one of the one of the things I was recently watching um, the Hobbit movies with my youngest. You know, who's, uh -huh. who who loves them, and he it was his second time through. But this time we want to do the expanded versions, you know. We uh -huh. um, we watched we 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 muddled through the the Hobbit movies, and Smog is the best part of those stupid movies. Yeah. It's just yeah. so good. And he gets to the part where he's doing the litany, and it isn't quite perfectly out of the book, you know. But, it's but yeah, I have always remembered it. I read The Hobbit when I was eight years old, and I doubt I've read it since. I remember his spiel. My armor is like tenfold shield. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. And that was my first powerful impression of a dragon. Yeah. And there was so much personality and so much lore yep. that surrounded that one figure. And, and, and of course, Tolkien did that a lot. Yep. You know, I mean, yep. the, the only faceless, you know, nameless villains were like orcs and stuff that he wanted to be a horde. Everything else you ran into is this one yep. thing. You know, that's like, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. Absolutely yep. makes sense to me. That's a really cool idea, man. I'm I'm super yeah. stoked to check it out. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate that. So I, I got to ask you, Andrew, because I know you're in a, in a Canada. You said you live in yes. Toronto. Um, you don't sound like you're from Canada. Just listen uh, to I you talk. Was, 
I'm I'm from Soviet Russia. Are you really? Uh, yes, uh, I was born uh, born and raised in the Soviet Union, uh, born in what is now Ukraine, and lived in what is now Russia, which yes is complicated. Um, Oof! Do you have family over there? Yes, in both places. Wow! Hmm. Wow! That is complicated. Yeah. Uh, so, and uh, I moved to Canada when I was a teenager, and um, have been here ever since. So it's it's interesting then you've you you still have the the accent obviously enough of it in your voice um, which I assume you know, even being a teenager before you moved you would have absorbed that anyway but then your yeah. family I'm sure still still does too but it's um it's, so, so you probably uh you, you said you got into D and D like six years ago I, that's why yeah. I was kind of curious it's like how you know how how prevalent were things like this overseas I mean was uh, there even I I don't think anybody knew what D and D was. Uh, <laughs> We, look, America was not well liked in the Soviet Union. <laughs> <laughs> right. They called the Iron Curtain, oh. <laughs> which I don't think is what we called it. But, um, you know, um, but even, I mean, there was quite a lot of, I guess, illicit exports, you call them. <laughs> but um, but uh, D&D was not one of the things that, you know, came I would my imagine. way. I would imagine. Even, like, things like video games, uh, you know, occasionally made their way, but like... Although, like Atari made it over, my friend had an Atari, you know, nice. which how got smuggled into the country. Um, so, because you better not to ask. <laughs> but um, but board games are very prevalent. If you remember, like for many years, like you know, all the ch- chess champions were, you know, uh, yeah, 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 a lot uh, of Russian. So, yeah, like gaming was a big thing, but it was the more traditional. Like almost everybody played cards. Like right. playing cards, and so it's like it was a natural extension. So I think if we would have had it, people would have liked it, but we didn't. Mm. So but even was, like the even like the board gaming explosion after Catan came out and all that wasn't really a big big. Well, thing I think that else. was probably after I left. After you left, I don't yeah. know when Catan. Cat, yeah, it's hard to remember because the game has been around so long now. But yeah, I don't know. I, I imagine that would that would have been later. We had Monopoly, mm. which we had. unfortunately <laughs> I I understand. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, you, I mean, you know, lo- 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 like, you know what? I, I grew up with that stuff. Like we a had lot Monopoly of and we had Uno. Uh huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was just, I was just curious. I, I really, um, I've always uh, enjoyed talking to people that have lived in other parts of the world and their experiences with role playing games because a lot of them come to it differently. You know, it feels like, or, or their awareness of it is very different, of course. And uh, in the English speaking world, it's a lot, you know, it's very common, obviously, from, uh, you know, Britain and Australia and all that. It's like, but around, you know, we have fans in other parts of the world. You know, we have, uh, especially we have a cadre of Finnish fans for some reason. And they're just, <laughs> um, they're just amazing to talk to. And they have such a different take on all the gaming than And they also speak really do. good English. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, Scandinavian, like, education system they mm-hmm. all speak better english than the people who actually <laughs> their first language yeah um, um, we have we have one who gets on with us occasionally he's one of our patreon supporters that uh, we have a level where we get together and play a game with uh you know i run a game for our, our highest level supporters and everything and um, he'll get on from finland obviously so we, it's the middle of the night for him whenever we do it but he's i mean his english is amazing i mean he's got he's got the accent and with the the internet it can get a little chunky at times a little difficult but he speaks English better than some people I know here <laughs> in the country. So I was like, you know what? No problem. Yeah. But he loves it. He loves the, he loves the gaming and the community. And he's a, he's a really big supporter and fan of uh, what we do. So, um, and our, our podcast, I mean, I realized that you guys probably didn't have any real exposure to it before um, I invited Zach to come on or anything, 
But uh, our podcast is our primary show, our flagship show of Metagamers Anonymous is very much oriented on immersive play. You know, it's mm-hmm. character-driven drama, you know, mm-hmm. uh, storytelling. Um, are you guys both, it sounds like you're both pretty much D&D guys straight up across the board. We didn't talk so about that's, Oh man, I'm excited now. You, you, hit, on my, <laughs> you hit on the juicy topic. Uh, uh, I try extremely hard to make that not the case. Yeah. Um, I, uh, now, obviously D&D is the big fish. Yes. And if you want to make money in the hobby right now, you you might as well just get over the fact that you're probably going to be injecting some D&D into the equation, right? Um, but I do a, I play a ton of stuff, a ton of stuff all the time. Um, like uh, just to throw out some things that I've fallen in love with recently. Like I I ran a lot of the Alien RPG recently. Mm, cool. um, I ran the um, 2D20 uh, Dune Adventures in the Imperium. Um, is that Modiphius um, that did that one? That's Modiphius. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Uh, Morkborg's great. Mothership is great. Um, uh, been playing some DCC, um, gosh, just anything that I can get my hands on. I'm a yeah. huge Savage Worlds guy. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. my bread and butter right there. I love yeah. D&D and I run, I run multiple D&D games a week and sometimes don't get much Savage in because, you know, it's just <laughs> not the same, but yeah. I love me Savage Worlds and I love that my convention, I have made it my mission in life. Like a lot of people that love the games like that to just you infuse their community with it. Yeah. And so Savage Games are the first thing. I don't even get to run games with my con, and they're the first thing to show up on the schedule yeah. from, my, from our yep. fan base. And I'm yep. super excited about it. I love it. it. Um, one of the things that I kind of prioritized last year and carried over into this year is um, with with our, with our the people I've met from different cons and, and for our writing teams, I grab as many of those people as I can together. And um, we I, ran, I run three, typically around three games that are consistent and most of the time we're not playing D&D. So as an example, um, we just finished up the, a Dune campaign. Um, I'm diving into a Symbarum campaign. Yeah, Andrew was in my uh, Dune campaign. Uh, d- diving into a Symbarum, which is my free league. Um, I run a Vampire uh, 5e uh, nice. campaign. Um, I don't know. Uh, Star Wars is thrown in there. Like, it's <laughs> it's really intentional because, I, A, I feel like I played a ton of 5e. And I still love it. Um, but I played only 5e for years, and uh, then in the last maybe two or three years, it became I want to I want to get well rounded, and I want to learn what these other systems are doing. Yeah. And um, you can go. I we put together a YouTube channel actually called I think it's called World of Game Design on YouTube, and there's a monthly video that I put up every month that's a how to play on a new system. Um, and we just teach people stuff that isn't D and D. So that's awesome, man. I, I I love that. We uh we are just looking at starting up again. We had uh during the pandemic we had started uh, what we call the actual play showcase, AP showcase, where mm-hmm. on our Twitch and uh, YouTube streams we were mm-hmm. showcasing like every other Friday night we were showcasing a different game that our people had not tried. Yeah. So what I kept doing was I kept getting the game designers on to run games that mm-hmm. they you know that they wrote. Because that that I've had the advantage of having been doing this for years, you know, yep, and yep. talking to people is like, you know, yeah, yeah, I, who do I know? You know, it's like, oh, I'll, I'll get Phil from Encoded Designs to come and run his game, and I get, you know, it's just like it, we had somebody run kids on bikes, and we had somebody yep. run, um, uh, we had somebody run some because uh, we didn't have any experience with, um, oh, what's it, uh, Cortex stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, we had a, a friend of ours who uh, James from One um, D Forecast, and he runs oh, yeah. a convention out east. 
uh, came on and ran that for us and uh, was super excited about it. You know, just trying to restore, I ran a cypher game because our, our mm-hmm. most of our uh, local, because our local people just hadn't tried them, you know, and mm-hmm. I love trying different games. And, yep. and letting people, and we, we would go through the whole process in the showcase. We'd do that first hour where it's nothing but showing how the mechanics work and talk about getting things started. And, and there's some games where that's a big part of gameplay. Like if you run a fake game or you run like a Forge in the Dark game, there's a lot of setup involved that's fun, yep. you know? Yep. And yep. Uh, so it's, it's a pretty cool experience. And um, that was the thing, though. I mean, I started gaming back in the early 80s. I played nothing but D&D and AD&D for... 15 years, yeah, <laughs> 10 to 15 yeah. years before I started peppering other games and realizing there were options out there. And even then I've always come back to D and D every edition, of D- only a little bit of fourth, but every edition to D and D, you know, come back to and, and uh, spend time with, and I, it's, it's always home, you know, it's, it, it's, it, and I love five E. I, I mean, a lot of people that have been gaming as long as I have don't like the change as much. And I'm like, you guys are freaking crazy. This is an amazing system. system, and it's so much fun. It's so easy to get into, and the, the bounded accuracy stuff makes it fun at every level. I'm just sold, you know. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting mm-hmm. a new campaign uh, in a couple of weeks, and got this week got players to you know gather on on uh, Discord or wherever we were talking, you know, getting together and, and talking about you know what we're going to play and getting their character situation. And just the buzz is great every time you start something yeah. new. The buzz, is. Is, the buzz is fantastic. So. I want to make sure everybody knows where to find you guys online and everything. Obviously, I'm, I'll put everything in the show notes. In fact, it wouldn't hurt if you opened the chat window here on mm-hmm. Zoom where we're talking and just put some links in for me, and I'll just copy Absolutely. and paste them. And mm-hmm. uh, but but go ahead and say you know too where where people can find you guys uh, the most your your stuff online. Yeah, uh, so I'll go first there. Uh, so you can find me mainly on Facebook. Uh, my name's Zach Goins again. Um, you can find my company, World of Game Design, on Facebook as well. Um, you can also, uh, uh, and if you, I think, I think basically, just go to just go to World of Game Design on Facebook if you have a Facebook, and um, uh, uh, from there you'll get links to all of our different other platforms and and profiles on Kickstarter and things like that. Um, if you don't mess with Facebook and you want to just connect with me for in a different way, you can also email me. My email is Zach at WOGD world of game design, WOGD.com. Right. And that's by, by the way, if you're not on Facebook, you're probably like Gen Z or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Do you know, do you realize that now where we Facebookers are like the older generation? Yes, now? We're, we're the older crowd. I realize what, that what happened, um, you know, like the, now I, yes. I need to figure out how to do TikTok. I guess. Yes. One of my yes. uh, one of my uh, uh, gamers who, um, when I met her, she had a YouTube channel called Awkward Dungeon Master, and was uh, just she was trying to get over her anxiety, and so she started running games, and she started by running at a local game store. I mean, just literally, literally, whoever walks in could be her players, mm. right? So, mm. um, and she started that uh, YouTube channel, and she didn't do it for I don't know, maybe fifteen, twenty, thirty episodes. I don't know. It wasn't it wasn't huge, but it was a good experience for her. And now she is TikTok crazy. And I'm sitting here going, God, how you're not that much younger than me, are you? You you really have this down. But she also is one of those hobbyists who just like everything, just crafty, crafty everything. And she's she makes dice now, makes custom dice mm. and makes all kinds buku money making custom dice. It's like mm. wow, That's she's cool. Gonna, she's gonna sell she's gonna have a booth at our con this year. It's like right on. Dude, I'm super stoked to see that because she makes yeah. really cool stuff. And gives them to me to give away. So, you know. There you go. <laughs> so, so you know, if you're listening, you know, keep keep tuned in. You'll get a chance to win stuff. We'll get stuff. There you go. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, Andrew, you got uh, any links you want to share? Uh, sure. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Sword Compass. You can find me on the web at swordcompass.card.co. That's my website. Has pretty much everything I've made and uh, all the ways to find me. And please check out Deep and Dangerous on Kickstarter. Please uh, <laughs> yes, back please. us and uh, please give us money. No, um, <laughs> we and we will give you a book, and it'll be good. And That's a good be a trade, man. Of services like barter yeah. all days. That's right. And come to some cons. I know, uh, Eric, you have your con, uh, uh, tsunami con. Um, and I'm going to do my darndest, uh, to make it next year to that, to that one. Yeah. We scheduled um, right on top of game hole this year, which we knew we were going to miss people. There's some things you just can't compete with in the Midwest. It, yeah, yeah, it is what it is. But, uh, yeah, I was, was going to say, um, uh, I want to get down to the tsunami con, but, uh, we're going to camp con. We go to origins. We go to game hole. We go to gen con. We go to winter fantasy. We go to Gary con, um, a lot of different places. So uh, you should I'd come out to, to come out to Midwest game fest this year. If you can, it's right there in your, in your backyard. That's right. Yeah, it is kind of first weekend yeah. of December this year. Ooh, that's probably, that could probably happen. Yeah. It's absolutely. a, it's a weird time. They usually do it in November, but they, um, they have a, they do it at, what's the name of that hotel? So they're an independent Stony Creek or something, but they do it there at a hotel that, um, is involved with the chief season. So they always have mm-hmm. to wait to see what the football season home games are before mm-hmm. they can schedule their con. Mm. And they got pushed all the way into December this year. So, mm. but they're still mm. going to do it. And I'm going to be there. I'll be a featured guest this year. It's, it'll be, it'll be That's great. awesome. That's awesome. So, we have a good time. Cool. But yeah, come out and uh, come out and do some game and maybe we'll catch up in person. Absolutely. Person, person. I'm looking forward to person, person stuff this year. We, yep. haven't, we haven't done much of that. This is our first year back doing a, a live convention after two years of virtual cons. Uh, yep. It's, it's a. The- Little nerve rattling, little yeah. nerve rattling, and uh, and of course, you know, just just to tick me off and make me nervous. Last week, like Sedgwick County, where Wichita is, just got, got had their level COVID threat level rise a little bit. Mm. And I'm like, mm. don't, 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 don't do this. <laughs> don't, don't do this. Yeah, uh, you know, shouldn't shouldn't we be done by now? Well, got to keep everyone safe. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a thing, man. That's a thing. And and um, I went to I I actually Gen Con last year was my first Gen Con. You know, I've been wanting to go since the 80s because I used to get the mail order hobby shop catalog in the 80s and it had an ad for Gen Con in the back, you know, well before internets and stuff. And I was like, I have one of these days and I lived in the Midwest. And at the time it was in Wisconsin. It wasn't that bad, but I was like nine. I wasn't going anywhere. Uh, so, you know, get into my adult life and it never, never was a priority enough. And finally, mm. last year, one of my listeners said, you know what? I could add you to, I could upgrade my hotel room for like a pittance. And, um, you know, all you got to do is get a badge. I'm like, I can get a press pass to Gen Con. They'll do, then yeah. they did, you know. And I, I went out last year and it was the pan, post-pandemic Gen Con, right? Yep. They had like half their capacity cap. They had, everybody yep. was required to wear masks. I had a great time. It's a good, it was a good con. Yeah. It was nice. Were you there last year? I was there. Yeah. yeah it yep. was really nice. And, uh, I, and, and people were really well behaved. I didn't, I didn't, and I didn't get sick. I know I'm sure there are a lot of people that did, but that's just <laughs> the nature of the beast, no matter what, but probably fewer than usual because everybody had something over their face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, so less concrete even to go around. I Correct. was, I was really impressed with how great a time I had because I was really worried about that because even, even COVID, it was a crowded convention. Yeah, I, I did yep. joke walking in. I took some video. I joked walking in. I was like, this, the, the convention center in Indiana, in Indianapolis, that front hallway could have fit my entire convention. <laughs> 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 it's like I, I realized I wasn't really joking. I was kind of sad, but you know what? 
It was a good time. Well, thank you guys for joining me and for listening so to Babble. Babble. No, you're with great. Absolutely. This has been a great conversation. Yeah, thanks thanks so much. Yeah. yeah. Uh, keep me posted about stuff you got going on. I, I love yeah. supporting, uh, well, I love supporting creative endeavors of all kinds, especially from independent writers, designers, and and publishers. And, uh, you know, Kickstarter's a really great, you know, uh, really, really fertile ground for creativity still after, you know, the years it's been going and uh, love finding new stuff all the time. So, you know, when you got something going on, ship it to me and maybe we'll be able to get on and wrap some more, talk a little bit on That's the show cool. or even get you on with one of our regular cast shows or something if you want to just talk cool. gaming or something. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Otherwise, Absolutely. you know, we'll see you guys around and well, probably not a whole lot of you, Andrew. I realize you're a long ways away, but you know. <laughs> oh, no, I come out. I come do, out. Do, 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 you, do you make it to conventions in the States? Do you, oh, yeah. You, yeah. Oh, um, we were just at the Origins and I'll be the big ones. Yeah. At Game Hall, I'm sorry. Um, uh, you see how you are? Is, what is going on? No, I get it. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Um, you know, and, and I, I wish I could be there too. <laughs> so, not, not in, not in lieu, none of my listeners get, not in lieu of my own con, obviously. You know, yeah. I'm super stoked to be at Tsunami Con this year. I'll have everybody know, except for the eight and a half hour drive. I'm, I'm super <laughs> excited to be there. Now, uh, that's, that's cool though. Yeah. I, I hope to see you guys uh, at some conventions then down the line. Then we'll, uh, we'll catch up and uh, do some in person uh, talking and swapping stories and then, uh, do some gaming because awesome. know, that's, that's what it's all about, yeah. guys. Fuck it. That's right. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much, Eric. Yeah, thank you, Zach, Andrew. Appreciate you guys being on. And uh, we'll, uh, I'll, I'll make sure you guys uh, uh, get an alert when this gets posted so you can share it if you want to. Perfect. <laughs> hint, hint. Perfect. Thank <laughs> you. Let your no, community absolutely. know. No. Um, <laughs> so thanks a bunch, guys. Thank you, Eric. Have a good one.